Hello everyone, and welcome to the third week of our series, Make All Things New. I'm Rachel Crash, and this is my husband, Patrick. Hello everybody. Do you think I should uh, open with a joke again? This was Melanie Heine's request, and did you guys enjoy the jokes last week? <laughs> All right, well this one's topical for our speakers tonight, so I don't know, did you, did you guys ever hear about uh, the two parrots that lived down at the convent? So the, the sisters had, had trained these, these parrots really well, and all they did was say prayers all day long and just repeating Hail Marys and Our Fathers, and everybody was really impressed by the parrots. And uh, then turns out they had a friend who was a priest who had a really poorly behaved parrot who would always say swear words and was always up to no good. So they decided we should probably have this poorly behaved parrot move into the convent uh, with these two female parrots that are really well trained. All they do is pray all day long and before you know it, he'll be a good parrot too. And so uh, the day that the male parrot moved into the convent, uh, the two parrots stopped saying their prayers and just said, Lord Jesus, our prayers have been answered. Well, anyways, uh, hope you enjoyed the joke. Uh, <laughs> this week, <laughs> uh, we've got something new for you. So, so far, we've talked about renewal of relationship and renewal of vision. And tonight's topic is renewal in rest. Uh, but before we get to the talk, we have a few announcements to make. So once again, make sure that if you haven't already done so, scan in uh, using the QR code on the desk, and that'll help uh, you pull up your discussion questions for after the talk is done tonight. And then we also have a bar and food in the back. And so make sure to uh, get that. The dinner is $6, and it's always been delicious so far, so I highly recommend. And then uh, at the bar, I think soft drinks start at $2, and then... Uh, beer starts at $3, so go uh, um, make it a true theology on tap tonight if you're into that kind of thing. And just one more note about the food. Um, it's $6 thanks to a generous um, donation by the Knights of Columbus, and it's all you can eat. So you pay $6, you eat it all, and then you can go back and get a whole new plate uh, for free. So. Um, throughout the series, we have been asking for the intercession of St. Teresa of Avila, the patron saint of renewal. And right now, we're going to invite forward Father Patrick Hake again to lead the prayer for us. Good, good evening, everyone. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we are your people, the sheep of your flock. Heal the sheep who are wounded. Touch the sheep who are in pain. Clean the sheep who are soiled. Warm the lambs who are cold. Help us to know the Father's love through Jesus the shepherd and through his spirit. Help us to lift up that love and show it all over this land. Help us to build love on justice and justice on love. Help us to believe mightily, hope joyfully, love divinely. Renew us that we may renew the face of the earth. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us. In the Father, Son, Amen. Tonight, we will hear from Michael Hanlon and Sister Ignatia Hennenberry on renewal and rest. Do you ever feel truly at rest? The talk tonight will touch on the differences between leisure and distraction and give guidance on how to navigate the new reality of increased screen time. What does it really mean to have rest and leisure and why is it important? What are practical ways to find balance, establish routine, 
and return to the true rest that we were created for. So Michael Hanlon is a licensed professional outpatient therapist and addictions counselor who is privileged to be able to practice authentic Catholic values within his professional counseling practice. Michael has over 30 years of experience in counseling field, including private practice for the past 10 years. His experience also includes serving with Catholic charities, visiting nurse and hospice home, Park Center, and Parkview Hospital-based clinical social work. Sister Ignatia Henneberry is our other speaker for tonight, and she is a sister of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration. She entered the community in 2010. After receiving her bachelor's degree in management, theology, and German in 2016, she moved to the Mother House in Mishawaka and started serving as the vocation director for the community. Let's welcome Michael and Sister Ignatia. everybody. Um, we're truly going to do a tag team, so I'm going to start off, pass the baton to Mike, and then he'll do like the nuts and bolts of everything. Is this echoey just to me, or is it echoey to you? Great. I'll deal with it. I'll be fine. Um, first of all, thank you for having me. Like, um, everyone's like, it's just nice to like see you all, hug you, you know. Um, and also, yeah, asking about, yeah, I was here for like four years and going back to the mother house, and I probably have made a trip to Fort Wayne a couple times each month, so it's been good for my heart to come back here. Um, so uh, the side of mental health and rest that I want to talk about, um, and Michael was very intuitive and just gave me this prompt of... Um, he actually wanted to talk with me <laughs> and do this together, which um, has been a really big blessing. And um, through the lens of our charism, and so what I feel like our charism, how it's affected me and how I think the charism of our community can, what I have to offer you, I guess. So our charism, our primary charism is perpetual adoration. So at our mother house, in Mishawaka, Indiana, there is a chapel for dedicated to perpetual adoration. Jesus is exposed there 24-7. Uh, and there are two sisters there currently praying. Um, sometimes, according to the hour, I can tell who the sisters are, but I think there probably are sisters that are Lady the Angels around this time, right? I think so. Sister Claire. Okay, Sister Claire is in the chapel praying. Wow. Uh, wasting an hour with Jesus. Something I think our charism at least has taught me disposes my heart to, and I think what we all need more of is uh, one, being able to be present to someone, um, practicing being present to Jesus, it disposes us to be present to others, uh, but he obviously comes first, um, and then getting really good at wasting time with people, you know? Um, yeah, adoration isn't about like doing things or filling the time. Uh, so being able to waste time. And when I think about, yeah, just because I'm up here talking to you about like being quote good at adoration or something doesn't mean that I don't get distracted or all those other things. So we'll talk about that. Uh, when I think about um, adoration, 
and what the purpose is, Mm -hmm. is that, yes, I'm being present to Jesus and giving him that time. That time is like consecrated to him. Uh, So if you think about like time that you spend in prayer or that time that you feel like you should be spending in prayer or whatever, that that is a gift to him. But primarily that's a gift um, that he wants to give you that um, he's being he's present all the time so that he can be present on the off chance that you come by like he's I'm going to be exposed here every day all day on the off chance that you come so when you do come I'll be there wow that's how like a lover talks like they would just want to um you know, like the movies where the guy is like enthralled with the girl and he just like knows her walk, you know, around the t- around the city. And he's just like kind of like walking down a corner like this like to catch a glimpse of her. OK, so that's what Jesus does in adoration with us. And um, so why we might not be good at spending that time with him and wasting time with him is I was thinking of. A moment okay it's like county fair season right um so when i would go to a county fair there would be okay this totally connects i f- i feel anyway so i'm gonna just keep going um so there's um county fair and i'm not sure why they asked like the sheriffs like the state police troopers to like set up a booth and like do a fun activity with the kids um because it was clearly they didn't want to be there but here i am like 11 year old sister ignatia like the activities at the state trooper booth, which is like you can get your fingerprints taken <laughs> without getting incarcerated. And I was like, okay, yeah, I want to do that. Cool. So there's this really big, you know, state trooper guy, and he's explaining me the process, blah, blah, blah. And he's going to give me my little card of all my fingerprints. <clears throat> he's like, okay, I, I will be making the, you don't need to, you don't just let me make the print, okay? I'm going to take your finger. I'm going to press the print down. And then I'm like really, you know, squirmy and excited because I'm like, I've never had my fingerprints taken anyway. So what do I do? I like, he's like ready. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, got it. Got it. He's like, see, I can't use that. You have to let me do it. I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, this cop that doesn't want to be there clearly and is like working with this 11-year-old. Anyway, so... That to say, I'm squirmy. I can't shut down and step back in order for him to make the impression on his own. That's what happens in adoration. Like, I'm sitting there, okay, I'm here, time for me to do all the work. Okay, no, because Jesus, he, um, and I like the, the image of the impression, like, that Jesus wants to impress himself on you for your own good Um, but he also wants your impression on him he wants to take you in too Um, but again that only happens when we take a step back and let him do the work so wasting time with him another thing that may happen during adoration so wasting time with him letting him do the work and again letting him do the work means 
uh, letting him take care of and take out all of the like nasty stuff that we got, you know. I think we always, like, sometimes we go to our times of prayer and um, we present ourselves in a certain way. And maybe not, like, on purpose, um, but just like, okay, this is prayer. Prayer should be about holy things. Prayer should be really pretty and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Uh, I think what often needs to happen in prayer is the stuff that we don't want to talk about is what we do have to talk about. Uh, Because that's what creates unrest, right? When there's something in our heart that doesn't belong there that we can't handle on our own, uh, he wants it. So also, let's go back to 11-year-old, perhaps 8-year-old Sister Ignatia, I guess. Um, So do you ever, I don't know, in my adult life, I don't think I ever got splinters. But as a kid, I I felt like I got them all the time. Anybody else? No? Okay, great. Great, yeah, okay. So, like, I felt like I got a splinter, like, every other day. And my dad, how he wanted to deal with it was to take his pocket knife. Yeah! And take the splinter out. I'm like, eight. I'm like, (laughs) no! (laughs) And... I'm telling my mom this as I was driving, and she's like, he probably, he did that mostly when I wasn't there. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure he did, because I didn't want him to do that. Because, okay, okay, my dad's pocket knife was very small, he was very nimble, it was fine, but again, squirmy Sister Ignatia, it hurts more when I'm like, I have my finger out there, and I see him getting close with the pocket knife, and I'm like, "Ah," move, and then it hurts, okay? So... Uh, when Jesus is bringing something up um, and we recoil in ourselves, um, that makes it hurt more, right? Um, now, I'm a firm believer in when we go through a healing process that Jesus is the one to lead, uh, that he's going to give you signs of um, to indicate when you need to bring something to him, uh, when you need help with something, all these things, and I think Mike will talk probably more about just like what those signs might be if you do need more help. Um, but in adoration, like he wants to see all that, um, and not just to like fix you and make you better. Um, but that's like the those that's the real stuff. Like that's who like what makes you um, makes the relationship real. Uh, because also to have a real relationship, okay, again, we're in adoration, uh, wasting time, rest is happening, removing splinters is happening, um, but you might be sitting there and be like, well, Sister Ignatia, like, I can't even sit there, like, an hour, yeah, right, five minutes, maybe, um, I'm usually just distracted, and all these things, okay, so I don't know if you've, I, I meet people I don't know all the time, and to make it not awkward, I talk, right? <laughs> I talk a lot, I ask a lot of questions, because we're only able to sit in silence with somebody that we know ver- really well. Like, I was paying attention, Sister Lucia came with me, and I was paying attention, moments that we could just be in the car and not talk. Like, we were catching up, and then there was moments where we were just like, sitting there until something else came up like oh yeah that's cool because I know her she knows me we can be quiet together 
So if you're in adoration and an awkward moment comes and you're like, oh no, here's that stray thought I had, here's the, I need to get up and move because it's too quiet, like all that is normal, it's okay. Like you're not gonna be able to sit there for an hour to start or even five minutes to like not get distracted. Um, like it's normal to be awkward with someone that you don't really know that well. So, and if, to be honest, if you don't know Jesus that well or that intimately, it's okay that it's awkward. That is okay. We're going to just like start where we're starting. Um, so to help that, if you're like, okay, I want to grow in my, you know, that quiet mental prayer. I want to extend my time with Jesus, etc. I would also say it's okay uh, to even just read. Read scripture, read prayers. Like, I don't know if you're all like sitting there like, yeah, I don't know what to say. Like, hmm. That's why saints are canonized and they wrote stuff, okay? That's so that you can read what they wrote <laughs> because they knew how to talk to Jesus so that you could know how to talk to Jesus. Because, uh, yeah, you're not going to, like, the words that we have through tradition that are gifted to us, um, that's for our benefit. We're sp- you're supposed to read, like, um, it gives us a language to address God with. Like, I don't just automatically know what a relationship with God looks like, what a conversation with him looks like. Um, I, I have to be taught. I have to read um, from the saints. I have to read scripture. I have to understand how God talks. Um, so yeah, reading from the saints, reading their prayers, reading scripture, uh, because I was just at a camp with a bunch, 500 kids. It was great. (laughs) And we were doing the prayer lab and we were asking them like, ask Jesus, like, what he thinks of you? Okay. Oh, but was that me? I don't know. Oh, I bet that was me. That wasn't him. Ah, ah." They're like battling in their minds. Like, is God, is that God speaking? Is that me? Blah, blah, Okay. If you hear something and it's good and encouraging, you don't need to worry about where it came from, okay? <laughs> like, I mean, if it was you, g- great. But if, if it was God, great. Like, maybe he's teaching you how to think. Um, if it's discouraging, if it's leading you into a pit of despair, that's not how God talks. So... I think just like training yourself to like, I think we hear God more. My point is we hear God more than we think we do. Okay. Um, So you don't just need need to assume that every single word that goes across your mind in prayer is your own voice because that's God uses your own voice to talk to you. Okay. I don't hear some really deep Morgan Freeman voice when God talks to me. (laughs) Okay. He uses my own voice to talk to me. Um, but it's always good and encouraging. And that, again, that's where scripture comes in. Sorry, got off on a tangent. Uh, because I can recognize how God talks to me because I've read his words before. I know how he talks. Um, he doesn't um, He doesn't say to Sister Ignatia, um, I can't believe you just did that. You better never do that again. Can anyone cite that in scripture for me? Of course not, because that's not how he talks. Uh, he does say, um, nor do I condemn you, go and sin no more. He says that. He doesn't say the other thing. Okay. So the more we read scripture, 
we're training ourselves how to hear him. Yeah. Um, and last little thing before I hand it off to Mike. Um, so why uh, the spiritual aspect and like wasting time with the Lord is so important uh, for our own rest, our own um, mental, emotional, physical, like health, um, being a whole person uh, is because I think one of the greatest desires of the human heart is to be known and understood and loved as we are. And um, you're not going to find that in a human person completely. Jesus is the only one that's going to do that. Uh, so we have to kind of give him a chance to do that. Um, I was reminded of um, a song by We the Kingdom. It's called Cages, if anyone's familiar with it. But um, the chorus is, I'm coming out of my cages. I'm stepping down from my stages. I'm sick and tired of faking it. What I wouldn't give to be known. What I wouldn't give to be known. I think when we get stuck in um, a cycle of despair, introspection, all those things, um, isn't that one of the like main questions that we're that we're asking, like that we're yelling in our own mind? We feel alone, and we're just saying, "What I wouldn't give for someone else to know me." And so, I would invite you to make adoration that place where you are going to be known. Uh, where you're going to be understood. And so for maybe the more practical side of things, Mike's going to take it away. And both of us will be up for questions at the end. Yeah? Okay. should be good there we go okay thank you sister Ignatia um, I appreciate uh, getting to do this talk with you uh, I when I was asked to do this talk I said sure I'd love to but I'd like to do it with a religious sister and sister Ignatia stepped to the plate and said hey she would do it so um, I'm most grateful for for a sister uh, doing that for me. But I, since we, we didn't meet in person before this, but we FaceTimed, and uh, during our FaceTime call, um, you know, she shared with me. Yes, Father. Yes, sir. Is that better? Better? Okay. Yeah, I, I'm a soft talker. Okay, let it go. There we go. Okay, testing. Um, but Sister shared with me that that her um, her religious name came from Saint Ignatius of Antioch, and um, 
St. Ignatius of Antioch was very dear to me in my reversion to the church. Um, it'll be 19 years this coming um, Advent that I came back and am so grateful. And St. Ignatius of Antioch was, was so confirming when I read uh, about this saint from who died around the year 110 AD and um, how what he said was so much of what Sister said tonight about the Eucharist. And I'll just read a little something that, that I pulled out of uh, Jurgen's um, Faith, of, Faith of the Fathers, Volume 1, in uh, St. Ignatius's letter to the Romans when he was approaching martyrdom. I have no, ta no taste for corruptible food, not for pleasures of this life. I desire the bread of God, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ, who was the seed of David, and for drink I desire his blood, which is love incorruptible. And I think when, when Sister was sharing with us um, how wasting time with Jesus is uh, she described it as wasting time, but um, what could be less of a waste of our time than to spend it with Jesus? Because as a mental health counselor uh, who happens to be Catholic, uh, in my work, uh, it's when people really find a relationship with God uh, and a proper relationship with others that um, good things happen in, you know, in counseling sessions. Without that, it's much more difficult. And I'm sure you, you would all agree with that. Okay, a little follow-up on the initial joke tonight. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I feel like we need, we need a little follow-up. Okay, so this is, this is, this is my little follow-up. Okay, so... Other, other than the fact that your speaker has white hair and looks pretty old, how do you know for sure that he is a senior citizen? Okay, so think outside the box and raise your hand when you think that you have the answer. Father. I'm wearing a normal watch. Good, good guess. That you know that's that's true, and that probably does age me also. But that's not the answer I'm looking for. Yes, please. You got it. Outside the box. I'm standing up here with index cards. Now I I can pretty much guarantee that none of your other speakers are going to be standing up here with index cards. So. You got it. Good job. You've identified me. And we, we call those um, U-maps. What I like to refer to as U-maps because you read my maps. You know, your, whoops, your, uh, your brain connected with my brain, and you read me. Yeah, very good. Okay.
Um, well, I'm Mike Handlin, and uh, my wife and I, Linda, who's sitting over here, uh, have Handlin Counseling, and we are the proud parents of one child, one son. He's 37 years old, three grandchildren, and I just got a great birthday gift on my 68th birthday, and that was a grandson born. Yeah, June 7th. Yeah, so that was pretty awesome. His name's Tell Tell T E L L Emmanuel, Tell Emmanuel Handlin. Yeah, interesting name. You have to talk to his parents about unpacking that. Okay. So, prayer is the essential ingredient in finding rest, in my opinion. And Jesus is the center of all prayer. That's why I wanted to do this with Sister because that's my belief that that all prayer um, you know centers on him rest comes through hearing and listening being receptive listening to our thoughts and feelings and being open and honest right like sister said when we go to prayer don't expect it all to be pretty you know, sometimes it's a little, you know, bumpy and and deep and, you know, um, there's struggle there. But we can give our thoughts and feelings to Jesus and ask him to sanctify them. Rest comes from God, the source of all good and lasting happiness. Um... Several years ago, Father Robert Spitzer, I'm sure many of you are familiar with him, uh, wrote a book called Finding True Happiness. And in that book, he listed, um, he, he, first he researched the, uh, the sages of the ages. You know, he went from back the, to the, from the Greek philosophers through through the early church and, and Augustine and Aquinas and all modern philosophers, you know, up to today. And he came up with four uh, levels of happiness. And I found them to be very applicable in my work um, in counseling. Level one is pleasure. Okay, now there are folks here having a having a nice adult beverage or other beverage. There's a little pleasure in, in that, right? Very much so. There's a little happiness in pleasure. You get, a, you get a new vehicle. Oh, there's a pleasure in getting that new vehicle. Whatever your favorite thing is, there's, some ple there's pleasure there. There's a little happiness. Level two is um, I'm having a senior moment. Accomplishment. Level two is accomplishment. So many psychiatrists have said that that when when a client comes in and they've been depressed, they can tell that that person is better when they have a sense of accomplishment, when they have things they want to accomplish you know, things they want to do. And so there's some happiness in accomplishment. 
you know, those of us who, who are uh, parents and work jobs, uh, we have, you know, mothers and fathers feel accomplishment in their parenting roles. As students, uh, you know, when you do well, you feel a sense of accomplishment. There's some happiness there, right? Level three is human relationship, okay? It's a little higher, okay? That's what, you know, sister, you know, after, when she comes out of prayer, she mingles, <laughs> um, you know, shares herself with others, tries to get to know people. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's our, our model too. Uh, so little higher level of happiness. Level four, of course, is transcendence. It's the transcendent relationship that you have with God. And the good, the good news is, though, that we can experience several levels at the same time. Okay, you're having an adult beverage or other beverage. There's some pleasure there. You're listening to a talk, hopefully, that, that you get something out of, right? <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> that would be my hope. Um, level two, you're, you're mingling, you're connecting with others, you're sharing in our Catholic faith life with each other, sharing your faith, receiving the faith of others in your connection and then we're you know we're talking about God you guys started this with prayer tonight it's a beautiful prayer and um, how that's how we we should start so many things right so many of the things we do with prayer uh, for Linda and I one of the things that we like to do is um, get outdoors get into nature go for a walk and you know have fellowship with each other talk about things we need to talk about and then uh, pray a rosary while we're walking you know so we're accomplishing you know each of the four levels you know getting some exercise accomplishment and um, all, of, all of the levels in that and you can find ways to do that too sort of blending um, blending our our, our the the activities that we do in life. Um, so we are we are an, an amalgam of body and soul, right? Un, but unforgiveness is toxic to the body and to the soul. So my years of counseling, the experience, uh, those experiences have really taught me that that unforgiveness is toxic to the body and soul. Literally, I, I believe. And the, the, from my perspective, we need to embrace the sacrament of confession. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, that's hard. But something happens in confession that I can't get anywhere else and either can can you right something happens when when father says the words of absolution that you're forgiven in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit that always just 
makes me like, I didn't do anything to deserve that, but I'll sure take it, you know, sure take it. I'm sorry? I think we, maybe you should talk with Father Patrick afterwards to answer that, or, or Father Dan. Okay. Okay, the next part of the talk is sort of going, talking about the body. Whenever we talk about the body, we're talking about the brain, right? The master commander. So the concept of neuroplasticity is very important, I think, to understanding ourselves. We can change. I haven't spoken publicly in probably nine years. And I think the last time I spoke was at Catholic Charities. I was on the board and spoke to staff. And um, I don't like doing this, but you know, so I'm doing my best. But, you know, it's making me change. I'm creating new neural pathways in my brain by doing this, by challenging myself and doing this, N making new neural connections. We can, we can grow, you know, we can get better. Okay, so this is what I wrote. The good news of the body and, and the brain is that our brains have the ability to regenerate and rewire new neural connections. Certain behaviors can stimulate growth factors like BDNF, which is a, 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 a brain, a neural growth factor uh, that aerobic exercise, expressing gratitude for us through worship, Having a healthy diet, fasting, an ancient practice um, it, of, our, of our faith, and it, it, from the old, um, from, uh, from the Hebrew people, right, that, that fasting was, was such a key part of their spirituality. And that, that these activities can actually release neural hormones that uh, make us smarter. Yeah, so that's the good news. <laughs> One of the models that I like to use uh, in my work and, and in my life too uh, was developed by Dr. Daniel Siegel. I don't know if, if you folks have heard of him. He's a neuroscientist, psychiatrist, um, out of UCLA, Harvard trained, gotten lots of money from the government to do research. Uh, but he came up with some re came out with some really good truths uh, about the human brain. He describes the brain as lower brain, upper brain, for us lay people. Yeah, that um, the lower brain, you know, that's the the brain stem spinal cord, brain stem, and the limbic system, the amygdala, and um, the hippocampus. And that's where we, we process feelings, right? That's where we can feel those, those intense feelings. Um, 
And then the upper brain, or the cortex, with the, the right and the left hemisphere, and um, you know the, the different, in the cortex we, um, you know, that's where we, where we have thought that, uh, you know, that can be helpful or, or not helpful. <laughs> you know, all sorts of, all thought. We thrive when we have a balanced, integrated brain. Siegel talks about a river of integration, which I kind of look at as like the living waters of the brain. And there's a flow in this river that, that goes between two two traps. One, side, one trap is chaos, and the other trap uh, is rigidity. Chaos, rigidity. And the flow can be described with the acronym FACES, F-A-C-E-S. F, we need to be flexible, right? You know, we need to be able to adapt to the to adapt, that's the A, be flexibility, adaptability. C, coherence. Where else can we find a coherent theology that is so fully coherent as in the Catholic Church? I don't know. You know, I tried, I looked a lot of places and um, I didn't find coherence there. E, we need to be energized. You know, we needed to, to allow our natural energy to be enhanced, right, by a healthy lifestyle. Uh, S is stability. We have this great stability in the church, in tradition, right, that goes back to Jesus and before, right, in our salvation history. Daily life in the modern world and its stress. Well, we need to have a good model for reframing stress. How do we, what, what do we do when we're in stressful situations? Embrace the moment that you are in. Psychology, they call that mindfulness. God is in you. He's there in our souls. Practice the sacraments, the source of sanctifying grace. Take care of your body and your brain with good diet and exercise. Be grateful for yourself, your life, you're God's you are God's child. Find a balance in your roles, your roles in your family, your roles with friends, in the church, and in the community. Work towards being integrated. Integration, I think, is a very uh, important word. 
Siegel talks about the flow of integration, how we integrate what we experience in our brains. Well, we can take it further. It's being integrated in our souls, you know, and when we spend time in rest with God, practicing the sacraments, it's taking place in us. Fast as prayer for intentions. That's just this is just something that's helpful for me to to use fasting as prayer um, for for people in my life. Get out in nature. Linda and I love going to the Acres pro properties. Are most of you familiar with Acres? No? Yeah, Acres Land Trust. I think there's probably 80 properties that have been preserved that have trails and yeah, very, very nice. We love to go to Chain of Lakes State Park too. Uh, love our church. You know, One possesses the Holy Spirit to de the degree that one loves the Church of Christ, St. Augustine. Remember the story of uh, Jesus sleeping in the boat with, with the apostles and a storm the storm comes upon them, and the apostles are um, freaking out, you know, and, and, and they say, save us, Lord, for we are perishing. Well, let's don't wait to believe, till we believe that we're perishing before we get help. That reach out for help, you know, and it's, it's really more of a sign of strength than of weakness. Our human suffering. Have a life model that helps you to embrace your sufferings. We need to grieve and mourn some of, the, some of life's tragedies and traumas. Understand that suffering can be redemptive if we embrace it. Uh, from 1 Peter 2, chapter 2. For one is approved if mindful of God, he endures pain while suffering unjustly. And a um, little further down in chapter 2, by his wounds we have been healed. But my experience tells me that healing is lifelong because we have layers of need, like an onion. And God heals us layer by layer. Thank you. Hopefully you've been having some great discussions. Um, and hopefully you have some questions now. So I'd like to invite back up Sister Ignatia and Mike um, to answer any of your questions. So whenever you have one, you can come up to the mic that's right over there. 
Um, please do come up to the mic so everyone can hear you um, and ask your question. All right. Um, when you're in times of despair, what do you do to recharge? Ooh. Despair. Okay. Um, okay, hopefully I don't get quite to despair, but if I do, or I'm on the way to despair, um, yeah, I have to also find my, like, where my story, if I'm, like, classifying as despair, like, where that um, intersects with um, Jesus's life and where he's inviting me into that. Um, because to couple despair with isolation and loneliness is doubly crippling. So um, it's actually, like, in our, like, deepest negative emotions that Jesus like he really he really gets those like he really understands those um and then to talk to somebody i'm not that great at talking about how i feel so <laughs> i do need to do that um yeah and express like what's going on in the inside to someone else and then they can either convince me that i'm not actually despairing or that i am and you're okay and you need to hear that from somebody like you're okay like you are good like I need to hear that, too. I couldn't have said it better. I mean, of course. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, what, what, what to add um, other than, to be honest, to go, to go towards Jesus first, you know, instead of away. Despair wants to take you away, but to go, t go forward towards him first and then find a trusted human being that you can be honest with you can say this is what's really happening with me I'm feeling hopeless right now and and then they can hopefully step up and and reinforce your goodness and reinforce you know the the, the value that you have and that that, that this despair isn't who you are. It's just a temporary, mm -hmm. uh, a temporary thought and f feeling amalgam. Mm -hmm. Thank you, that Father? Father, please go to the mic. And I'm already here. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go first? Katie, you were there first. Go ahead. Okay. Well, my question was for you, Mike, and it was really just curiosity about your own practice and, like, are the clientele coming to you? Do they know your Christian Catholic, like, foundation for your practice? That seems to be what you have going on. Um, and then I'm also curious just how you got involved in counseling and then having you mentioned your reversion. So I wondered which came first, whether it was your 19 years ago back into the Catholic faith or if you were already established in your in your practice. Well, I'll go back and answer that answer the past first, and then come up to the present. Um, no, I I started counseling when I was away from the sacraments, 
You know, I went to, I was telling sister and Chad that I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, graduated from two Catholic universities, and I didn't know Jesus. Isn't that sad? Okay, so in practicing counseling, sometimes I felt like the weight of the world was on my shoulders, you know, because I didn't know Jesus. I, believe, I believed in God. I believed that there was, you know, a higher power and a God, but I didn't know who he was. And so it took that reversion process and participating in some evangelical Protestant uh, fellowship that I came back to the Catholic Church through an Opus Dei retreat uh, at the cathedral, at the chapel, and I went to confession, and my penance was to go to daily mass and receive the Eucharist. Boy. So I came home, told Linda I was Catholic again. She was like, um, that's another story. But, um, and so I stayed up most of the night, went to St. John's on Fairfield to 6.30 a.m. Mass with Father Rubicki, received the Eucharist, and went back to confession a week later, <laughs> you know, because I'd been away for so long, I had a lot to confess. So as my life has evolved, as I've evolved as a human being, so has my work. My work's been a progression from being a secular counselor to working in end-of-life care, you know, having, having conversion to Jesus, working in end-of-life care, doing grief counseling, being able to witness Jesus in that work, until my reversion, then I became a Catholic therapist because, you know, I mean, I was Catholic again. So, and so it's been an evolution since then. Then, probably seventy-five percent of my clients are Catholic, and so referrals come from from uh, Catholic sources. Thank you. Can I add just a little bit to that? Yeah. Um, I was curious about um, whether you own your own practice and whether you find obstacles in being a Catholic counselor um, in a secular country or what that looks like. Well, it's just Linda and I in the practice. Yes, we, we own the practice, but um, not many obstacles because so many of the clients are Catholic that they're glad to have the service available. Um, so not too many obstacles. Now, when I used to work in mental health and community mental health, I only got in real serious trouble one time during that stint. And I got in trouble for praying with a client. Yeah. Somebody uh, turned me into the licensing board in the, at the state, so I was I was looked at for a couple years, I guess. <laughs> I don't know how, you know, they didn't bug my room or anything, but, um, and then that was over. So that was, you know. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. I'm just gonna stand here. Oh. <laughs> uh, so Mike, 
let's say I'm having a let's say I'm having a bad day. I'm having another bad day, a third bad day. At what point should I call you? And there was, there was a storm at sea, and Jesus was sleeping in the boat, and they came to his, him and said, Lord, save us, we are perishing. Well, don't wait till you're perishing. <laughs> On day one, I mean, but, but go to Jesus. I mean, go to a good friend. Counseling's not for everybody. You know, it you know, can be helpful, but um, there are many avenues to connect and to, uh, to be able to be honest with what you're dealing with. So what would you say would be the time when it is, when it is time to call the counselor? <laughs> well, um, don't wait too long, okay? And understand it's time when your struggle becomes too much about you. You know, when it's too much happening in, in, in your brain, there's, you know, thoughts and feelings that are getting mixed up, and it's, you know, you get, you're, you're feeling stuck. That's the time, okay. you know. Or when somebody tells you it's time, <laughs> who's, who's close to you, then it's definitely time. This question is for... Uh, Sister Ignatia, is that yep. cool? All right, y'all can hear me, or yeah. all right, cool. Yeah. Um, it's concerning the what you had talked about with the the kids on the prayer, and that the question around is this God's voice, is this my voice, and can you, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that process of coming to be able to distinguish this is God maybe speaking through my own uh, thoughts and my own reactions and, and recognizing that. Because even, even if, um, well, basically, God, you know, sometimes God will be speaking and sometimes you will be thinking. And mm -hmm. that's not necessarily the same thing. And mm -hmm. can you talk a little bit more about that process of coming to distinguish those two? And I know you mentioned reading scripture as one way to um, be aware of God's voice and sort of the, the tenor of God's voice. Uh, yeah, can you, say, can you say any more on that? Yeah. Um, maybe three things, and hopefully I'll remember all three of them. Um, so if you've never done this before, maybe just like close your eyes with me for a second. Okay. And then in your mind, um, Thomas Aquinas calls it something in Latin, but it means the voice of your mind. Okay, anyway. Um, so in your own mind, not out loud, say your own name. You can open your eyes. That's how God's voice sounds like in you, when you're praying. Okay? So that's the first thing. So that's how it's going to sound to you. And then how to distinguish between my own voice at prayer. Because, yeah, in meditation, um, when we're reading with scripture, when we're doing Luxa Divina, a lot of those thoughts are our own, but those are still good, right? We're still like grappling with uh, the scripture, with what God has told me before, with what's going on in my day, like all of that's important. But then there comes a moment where a thought comes into your mind that you were not previously thinking about, 
and it, it doesn't actually maybe sound like something you would say to yourself. So uh, sometimes to, a few things you can do to practice that um, is to ask God a lot of questions and simple questions. You can ask him, um, like when you wake up in the morning, uh, Father, uh, what do you think about me right now? And oftentimes I've done this with like with even like high schoolers and you know a young girl will will hear the words like um, you are so precious to me and she's like I would never think that about myself. Okay, that's that's what God wants to tell you right now. Um, again, it was good and encouraging, all those things. Um, I don't know if that helps the whole like yeah when something seems to come out from outside but it's so familiar because it's your it sounds like your own voice, but it wasn't something that you were previously thinking about. Does that make sense? Yeah. My question is for Mike. Um, what would you say to someone who thinks they might benefit from counseling, but they're unsure and afraid and um, fear they might waste a counselor's time or take a spot from someone else who might need it more? Oh. That's not easy to respond to, is it? It's it's a it, it's a dilemma being a friend or you know an acquaintance with someone with that with that mindset, feeling their own unworthiness and sort of giving up on a process that could help them, you know, before it ever started. Um, you know, sometimes we just got to take take our brothers and sisters by the hand, you know, and say, "Hey, I'll go with you." You know, if you want some support, I'll go. I'll go with you. I'll sit out in the waiting room, or I'll go into the session with you. Whatever your preference is, you know, because it should be. You know, there there has to there has to be some comfort. And so at least, you know, being that support person, you can be that, that comfort to say, I'll be there as much as you want me to, but I really want you to get help because I love you and you deserve it, you know. Is that helpful? What would you say to the person... I guess if they um, weren't sharing that with anyone. So if you could say it to someone who was feeling those feelings but wasn't sharing them, what I guess what encouragement would you give them about their fears um, to go to counseling? Well, the, the, the healing is always a forward movement that, that, that we have to in our in our human wills we have to make a decision that i need some help and i'm you know i'm going to get some help uh and there has to be some forward movement in order to get healing if i just you know resist and shut down and move move backwards then there's no opportunity for healing you know, we have to knock, right? Um, 
sure. These are really hard questions. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm not adjusting the mic this time. I, re I really do have a question, Sister Ignatia. So, okay. All right. Well, um, Sister, d during your talk, I remember how you said that, like, um, that we need to, like, you know, bring our problems before the Lord, you know, in adoration, you know, and to, you know, talk about them, you know, kind of share with them what our thoughts and feelings are. So my question is, like, um, well, at least for me, from my own experience, I mean, I, I've learned to do that before, but one thing I also can tend to do is that I can actually almost like in the processes I'm trying to share with God, like I can also at the same time almost be like dictating like, you know, what I think a proper solution might be or something. So I was just kind of wondering like, you know, what your thoughts might be on that as well as like maybe kind of how maybe one can either learn or maybe not just recognize that God is the one who's in control, you know, in, in spite of like our tendency to want to do that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Good question. Um, I just had an experience like four days ago where I realized I was dictating how I wanted it to happen, how I wanted my prayer to be answered. And I had to realize like, Oh, right. That's where I like make an act of faith and surrender that. Um, but how you, I guess, practically speaking, how you're, when you're bringing something like that to the Lord and then you get stuck in like rumination and then the like solution making, like, right. You're kind of like creating the own, your own solution as you're praying. Um, a really helpful form of prayer. Um, and everyone who was my student at one time probably heard this already, but it's, um, it's called the pirate prayer because it's a R R R. Are, okay. Anyway, um, so when you have a problem, you acknowledge what what's going on right now. So the A, acknowledging what's going on right now, and then the second R is to relate. So that's when you acknowledge. Okay, um, imagine I had a really awful day. Um, maybe I messed up at work. You know. Okay, I messed up at work. Every I feel like everyone thinks I'm an idiot. Like, I messed up again. This always happens to me. That's what you're feeling and you're thinking. And then you're relating that to Jesus. So, like, Jesus, this is where I'm at right now. This is how I feel. Uh, and then you have to ask the question, what do you think about this right now? What's going on? And then um, then you receive. <laughs> Thank you. Um, then you receive. So, like, in that moment when you try to, like, figure out the solution, that's actually the moment where you you wait, and you have to res he had let him respond to the question. So I think I do this too. Like when we're praying about something that's difficult, we stop asking him questions. So I think when we're praying about something that's difficult, we need to ask him what he thinks about something. Um, Jesus, why is this happening? Uh, Jesus, what do you want me to do right now? Uh, how do you want me to think about this? Um, and sometimes I've received, like, you know, for right now, I want you to wait, you know, or um, the solution's going to come, but it's not right now. Like, s something even like that, like, if it, you don't get a clear answer. Um, and then after you give him plenty of time to re respond to you, or you receive his response, then you have to make your own response. Um, so maybe that is then the act of faith in his own, his own, um, 
idea of your situation instead of your own, like that submitting. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to submit what I want to happen and accept what you're, where you're leading me. Did that make sense? Follow-up question? No? Okay. Yeah. But you can always look look that form of prayer up. There's many different, like, explanations. It's a really, it's really helpful. So. Georgia, hi. Hi. Haven't seen you in a while. I know. <laughs> um, so this question addresses what Mike was saying about fasting, um, but either of you can answer it. Um, so whenever you're bringing prayer and intention and you're not really getting answers, I know sometimes fasting can good, be a good way to help kind of clear your mind and your body, so to speak, to help find those answers, or you might suddenly be gifted with the answer. Um, could you talk a little bit more on that and like maybe like a safe way to approach fasting so you don't overdo it if you don't really know what you're doing? I'll, I'll start with the body, with the biological. And then, Sister, maybe you can follow with more of the spiritual. Fasting, if you're a healthy person, you know, of, of average um, body weight, you know, within average range, that it's, it's not an unhealthy practice. To the contrary, the research is showing that it's good for the body and you know what's good for the body is good for the brain and you know in the production of those those neurochemicals and neurohormones that help us be smarter it's part, fasting is a is a, an exercise that helps with that i'm not experienced enough at fasting from a spiritual point of view, other than some fasting, there's I, there's a few of my Exodus 90 brothers from this last season here tonight. And, you know, of course, in that program that they encourage us to, to do some fasting and um, on Wednesdays and Fridays. And, you know, as is tradition. And that, you know, so I really started getting more of a spiritual sense of that I'm called to fast, you know, at this age, you know, that, that I have to do it intermittently and, and safely. But, you know, we just, we, we eat too much. I mean, we just do, right? I mean, it's just, I mean, it's kind of a cultural phenomenon. Um, you know, that's me. Uh, so, so I think that it can be very helpful. And I use it for intentions, for special intentions, to pray for others rather than looking for something f for me per se. I think it, the, the, the biological benefits and the mental and brain health benefits are so good. I'm, that's what's good. You know, I feel like I'm getting that. I guess speaking one to the, yeah, you feel like it's going to help this like breakthrough in prayer. I think one reason why that is, uh, is because we've organized our lives so much that we don't, we can go through our whole day and not actually need God. And that's a problem. 
Uh, so I think at least for me too, like fasting teaches me that I need my need. So that's like, it's training our heart to need, to need him and to realize that and to connect that like our body and soul, like, oh yeah, I'm finite. I need a lot of help. Um, I, yeah, that's why we want to feel hungry is so that we can connect that part of us. Um, so that, but then also, um, how to do it well, um, one note for women, I think we need to do it in conju- in relationship with someone. Um, someone who can help us be objective because um, food is a touchy thing. <laughs> so I, I can do this too. My own head, I'm like, I'm like, well, that sister has like half a cup less food on her plate than I do. So I'm like, anyway. Or you just like start looking at everybody else and it can get messy. So I just think doing it in relationship with somebody can be very helpful um anything my train of thought went away but that okay great i know we're like pushing it on time for questions but i guess maybe this can be the last one okay so i've encountered um, in my lived experience others who carry the idea or the concept that if you need help from a mental mental health professional it's because you're not praying enough or you're not trusting God enough so I'm wondering like what would your response be and I'd love to hear from both of you um, about that mentality that it's you need help because you're not praying enough or trusting enough I'll go first um, I was recently told of an SNL skit of um, a psychologist, you know, had this like stand and it was like, I don't know, five bucks they charged and for like, or like whatever, how much they charged for like five minutes and like, don't worry, people don't like take the five minutes. So somebody sits down and it's like, I don't know, I just like can't get rid of these anxious thoughts and I'm like controlled by them all day. Psychologist, well, stop it. <laughs> like, oh, oh, oh okay, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, stop. Okay. Like, that doesn't work. <laughs> so I think oftentimes when somebody has a legitimate problem and we think it's because they're not praying enough or that they don't trust in Jesus, we're actually, in effect, telling them, well, stop it. Like, this problem you're having, um, it's because it's your fault and you're doing everything wrong and blah, 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 blah. And I really missed the trains. <laughs> not living here. But anyway, um so anyway, so that I'm just gonna wait a two seconds. Is that okay? <laughs> okay. Oh wow. Anyway, okay, I'll keep going. Um, so yes, so when we equate someone's problem is with um, that it's just a spiritual problem, um, we've ignored who that person is. We are a body and soul. Um, so sometimes equating a, something that has a human element to it to just be a spiritual problem is not helpful. And then that person, they just saying, oh, I just need to try harder. And we all know how that that goes. That doesn't work. Um, So that's why I do think as someone who spiritual life is actually pretty important to me, as you can tell, um, I don't hesitate to recommend um, mental health counseling to people in tandem with obviously spiritual life, but.
therapy. You know, if you're dealing with, with problems that, that you're not surmounting, you know, and making progress with on your own, get us, you know, get a little help. That's all. It's just, we're, we're made, we're made for relationship. And, you know, the, the young lady who, who recognized uh, that, that I was old because I, w I had index cards, she was, she was reading my, she was, she, those were her U-maps. She was reading me. Okay, you know, index cards, that's old, you know. And that's what therapy is. It's for, as a therapist, that I develop U-maps with my client and to get to, to know them and their struggles and to encourage them in those and to help them with some skills. It can never replace prayer, never. But to think that, you know, we're, we're body and soul, heart and mind, right? And so we're made for, for community. And good therapy is just another aspect of, you know, you, you need to build a room, you call a carpenter. Um, you know, and you, you need some help with, with some internal struggles and thoughts and, and feelings and, you know, getting stuck. Then that, and relationship problems, that's what therapy's for. Thanks so much, everyone, for your discussion and your questions, and to our speakers for sharing your time and your knowledge with us. Um, we really appreciate it.